This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. I have to tell you that I normally am with my co-host, Brian Walker, but this is one of those episodes where I'm doing it solo. So before I get in to talking about a topic I'm incredibly passionate about, let me first give a big thank you to our friends at RepairPal for sponsoring the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. We really appreciate y'all being our sponsor. Without you, we could not bring this to our listeners. As shop owners, we were also part of RepairPal Certified Network, and you can learn more about them at repairpal.com forward slash shops. All right, friends, here's the thing. I am not like this major book reader, But I do like to read books and I've been on this, I don't know, this reading frenzy for a little while now. And I got a new book thanks to my friend Kieran O'Brien over at Shop Genie. Kieran told me about this book and he was like, hey, you would really like this book. So I picked it up and I'm not going to lie, it's very easy to read. It's like a great book, super, like I said, easy to read. But I tend to be one of those people that read like five books at a time, but then I never really finish any of them. I want to know who's like that. So I want to hear from you. Get in touch. Let me know. You know, so I finally, but I love this book. So I really wanted to finish it. And I put a couple of down and then I stuck to this one, but it did take a break only because Brian gave me a book to read for Christmas, being the army mom that I am. I always read like business books or like leadership or self-help, you know, being a better person, whatever. Well, the book that Brian gave me for Christmas was very emotional. It pulled every emotion there is out of me as an army mom. It was a Tim Kennedy book. If you follow Tim Kennedy, It was phenomenal. And so I really got super obsessed with it. And I'm not going to say I fell in love with reading, but I don't know, it just, it touched a different part of me. And it inspired me to get back to finish some of the other books that I had already started. Here it is. If you are just listening, you're going to hear it. But if you are on YouTube or seeing this, uh, the video, then you'll see the book. So the name of the book is Un reasonable hospitality, a national bestseller. It is written by Will, I don't know how to say his name, Gadara, And he is a restaurateur. So the book is written like in the restaurant industry and lessons he's learned, but it's a service industry. And so I thought it was incredibly relevant for my friends in the auto repair industry. And I've been taking notes. So again, For those of you who are not a fan of writing in your books, I am. And so I have multiple pages at the end of the book where I just like had to have these takeaways. And even though I'm underlining and circling and highlighting, I went to the back of the book to some empty pages and just made this bulleted long list of things, which a lot of them are going to be what I'm going to cover with you today. But 
It says, unreasonable hospitality, the remarkable power of giving people more than they expect. So I'm going to share with you some of my top takeaways. This may be kind of, I bet this will be a pretty decent length episode. I've made notes here. I'm going to go through them, but these are just my top takeaways, y'all. There's a lot more to it. So I really, really hope that you're inspired to pick this book up and read it for yourself and put some of these practices in place in your own auto repair shop, in your own life, how you treat your clients, but also how you take care of your team. There's so much to be taken from this. There are a couple of pages I'm going to read to you that were just some of my favorite, but we'll get to that. I want to let you know that I'm going to send this book to three people. All you need to do is shoot me an email to podcast at shopmarketingpros.com. So email podcast at shopmarketingpros.com and say, Hey, Kim, I want the book. And because I say this sometimes for other books that I'm sharing, be sure that you say, I want the unreasonable hospitality book. I'm going to send it to you. So be sure that you give me your shop name and your address. Three people, podcast at shopmarketingpros.com. I'm going to send you this book. So I've read a lot of books. This one is up there at the very, very, probably in my top five books I've ever read because, you know, some books inspire. This book not only inspired me, but it caused me to really think. It caused me to make a list. It caused me to brainstorm. And I'm implementing stuff because of this book. New things. I'm tweaking some of the things that I've already been doing. But I just think it's so important, the things that he's talking about in this book, being unreasonable. And we're going to talk about the difference between service and hospitality. And, you know, I also probably just really love this because I'm from the South and Southerners are just very hospitable by nature. I was raised that way. And so this really just struck a chord with me. You know, the thing is, fads fade. They come and go. But something that does not change is the human desire to be taken care of that never goes away. And Will talks about this in the book. You know, as a former school counselor and teacher, one of the things that I learned a lot about, and I believe my our last podcast episode, Brian talked about Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, actually the last blog that he wrote. So maybe it's the next podcast that'll come out. But anyway, Maslow had this theory about the things that we need in life in order to get to a fully self-actualized state of just happiness. There are some foundational things that you need first and foremost. And so the very bottom of his hierarchy, so it's like a triangle, the very base, that's things like food and shelter. And then as you continue going up the pyramid, there are additional things, but the sense of belonging is one of the foundational things. You know, it's right above things like water and food and shelter, us feeling like we're a part of something. And that was a big basis of the things that Will wrote about in this book and how it impacted the multiple businesses that he was involved in in the restaurant industry. And so when we're looking at that, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind all the time as we're kind of taking this journey through this book together. Again, I hope that you pick it up. I believe he's been interviewed on podcasts. There are videos, all kinds of great stuff, but it's a really incredible book. So one thing that he talked about is that service is very black and white. 
You know, it's very simple to define. There's not a lot of flexibility in it. There's not a lot of um, necessarily creativity. It's like services, here's what we're doing. There's not a lot of emotion to it. Whereas hospitality is full on color. It requires an authentic connection, listening, anticipating people's needs. So when I bring that into the world of auto repair shops and I start thinking about our shop, when we had our shop, we did a lot of this stuff, but I didn't know that it was necessarily unreasonable. Yet here we are like 20 years later and I talk about what we did for our customers in our shop and what I did for our community and even some of our team members that people, they've never said the word unreasonable, but we've gotten looks like, you really did that? And I love when I hear some of our shop owner friends today talking about the things that they're doing in their shops. And it's 2024, and you wouldn't think that these things are hospitality in full color, but they really are. And these are top tier shops that are just really caring for people. So just a couple of the things like, You have a calendar. You know who is arriving at your shop at certain times of the day and you have their names. So why are we not opening the door and greeting them by name? That just makes people feel welcome. It makes them feel like they belong there. makes them feel special. How about making their coffee the way that they like it? And you may be saying, well, Kim, how do I know that? Well, because in the past you listened to them or when you said, can I make you a cup of coffee? They said, yes, I'd love that. And they said, I'll have one cream, one sugar. You registered that in your head. You then typed it into your CRM. So now you know. And so the next time they come in, you're waiting for them at the door, greeting them by name, saying, Miss Smith, I made you a cup of coffee just the way you like it. So these are things that just make people feel very special. Washing their car, leaving special notes for them, roses on Valentine's Day, listening so that you can do special things to take care of their kids or their families or their spouse or their best friend or, you know, whatever it might be. People leave clues when they're talking and when you're taking the time to truly be with them and be in the moment and talk to the person that's in front of you. I know I hear a lot of times about service advisors that are on the phone while they're also multitasking and taking care of the person in front of them when neither the person on the phone nor the person in front of them is getting their full attention. And maybe it's leaving a feeling of, you know, they're interrupting the service advisor or they need to hurry up so they can get out of the way because the service advisor is so busy and has so much to do. So really just slowing down in the moment when someone is in front of you and taking care of them. If they're only a customer, they'll only see the relationship as transactional. We personally, that's not who we are. We are all about the relationship and allowing people to feel heard and understood and appreciated. And so if your customers are feeling like they're just a transaction then you're not helping to fulfill any sort of longingness to belong somewhere or feel like they're a part of something. You know, some people may be thinking, well, I'm just the auto repair shop down the road. There are shops that works for you. That's fine. But if you're looking to really be a top tier shop, you're really looking to be a shop that's making an impact in your community, 
that you're building a shop that's going to take care of your team and your family and leave a legacy, then you're a shop that wants to be unreasonable in how you take care of people. Think about just being thoughtful and doing things with intention. The way that you talk to people, the way that you spend time with them, the way that you're taking care of their car, the way you're leaving their car. I was always taught, and now I've taught our son, you always leave things better than you found them. And so keeping that in mind and just how I know a lot of shops are now doing little trinkets and things that they're leaving behind with the car, just some nice little gestures. We're very big into being generous and gifting. And so one of the things that Will talks about in this book is giving your team fun money, having a budget and allowing them to just make things happen. You know, some shops may have a bigger budget. Some may have a smaller budget. You have to find what works for you. I also don't want you to leave this podcast thinking that all this stuff is expensive because I'm going to tell you something later at the end. It's not about the cost of whatever it is that you're doing for someone. It's about the impact of it. And so this doesn't have to be a lot of money when I'm talking about fun money, but just allowing team members to have a budget, whether it's weekly, monthly, whatever it might be, to do what they need to do to make someone feel special. Maybe, you know, from extreme listening and active listening, they know that, you know, this customer is just having a really rough day and could use a DoorDash delivery of a coffee, right? That's not expensive. Think about how you can include gifting and fun money for your team to just allow things to happen. So I want to take a minute. I want to read not a long passage, just a little bit, pages 17 or 18 and 19 of the book. It's an important part of this story and I want to share it with you. So Will has a very close relationship with his father and he's learned a lot from him. There's something real important that happens that I think is the foundation for what caused the way that Will has run all of his businesses and ultimately, in the end, the groundwork for even creating this book. So I'm going to read starting on page 17. The title of this section is The Nobility in Service. It says, a month and a half after the guest chef dinner, all the arrangements were in place for my parents to attend my graduation. Then two days before they were set to leave, my mom slipped into a coma. My cousin Liz drove out to Ithaca with her family in an RV so I wouldn't be alone for the ceremony. I threw my cap in the air and then I ran straight to my car. By the time I got to my mom's hospital room in Boston, it was late in the evening. My dad had gone back to the apartment already and I fell asleep lying in my mom's bed. When I woke up in the middle of the night, she was awake. What happened next was extraordinary. For the first time in six years, my mother was able to speak intelligibly. You graduated, she asked me, and I told her I had. We talked easily and for a long time. I didn't have to strain to understand her, and she didn't have to struggle to speak. Eventually, she slipped away again. I ran to get a doctor. She was awake, but it didn't matter. She had fallen back into a coma. The next morning, I went back to the apartment to see my dad. He was exhausted after logging serious hours by my mom's side at the hospital. In an effort to cheer both of us up, I suggested we hit the racquetball court for a quick game. Afterward, as we were getting changed, his phone rang. 
As soon as I saw his face, I knew my mom was gone. I wrote a speech to give at her funeral, but when I got up to to deliver it, the words I'd written didn't feel right. I ended up telling a couple of funny stories instead, including the fact that despite the many challenges my mom had in communicating, she was always able to perfectly articulate my dad's credit card number whenever she shopped over the phone. Then we had a huge dance party. Instead of mourning her loss, we celebrated her life. Much later, a guest at 11 Madison Park, which was his restaurant, would tell me that while most people save the best bottles of wine in their cellars for celebrations, he drinks his best bottles on his worst days. I thought of my mom's funeral immediately when he said that because that was exactly what we did that night. The party was perfect. She would have loved it. As anyone who's lost something important knows, the days immediately after a huge loss can get very dark. Visiting relatives go home, the casseroles stop coming, and the immediate family life is left alone. The shock wears off and grief sets in. The week after my mother died, I was supposed to fly to Spain for an internship where I would be working as a prep cook in exchange for room and board at the hotel school owned by former Cornell grad. But it didn't feel right to jet off to Spain a week after my mother's death. Mostly, I didn't want to leave my dad alone. It was my dad who pushed me to keep the commitment. What are you going to do? Sit around here and be sad? Get on the plane. If you change your mind, you can always turn around and come home. So in the middle of this intense mourning period, I started scrambling to make plans to travel to Spain. Even though I was in Boston, the only flight I could find last minute was out of New York's JFK, so my dad offered to drive me down. That gave me an idea. With nothing left to do, I emailed Chef Boulaud. Is there any way I could bring my dad to the restaurant next Saturday? So I'm sorry. I said that 11 Madison Park was his restaurant. It wasn't at this time. It was a restaurant that he just really loved. But later on, he actually owns it. But so, side note, people wait months for reservations at Daniel. But the email I got back could not have been more gracious. I would love to have you. You welcomed me into your home. Now I will welcome you into mine. My dad and I were running so late for the reservation, we had to change into our suits at a gas station off I-95. I didn't have the slightest idea what to expect, but even if we hadn't been going to one of the best restaurants in the world, I still would have been anxious. This was the first time in my life I was bringing my dad to a restaurant as opposed to him bringing me to one. At Daniel, the general manager greeted us at the door. Chef Daniel is excited to have you with us tonight. Your table is right this way. He brought us through the bar, the formal dining room, into the kitchen, and upstairs into the skybox, a luxurious glass-enclosed private dining room that looks down over the kitchen, where 40 cooks and Chef Boulard work in a state-of-the-art facility. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime table, and I was too stunned to speak. But the ice was broken immediately, as Daniel's voice boomed over the intercom into the booth, Willie! The kitchen proceeded to send us a series of exquisite courses, which Daniel personally spilled over the intercom as each plate arrived. As we tasted the delicious food, drank the superb wines, and experienced the warmth of Daniel's hospitality, I watched years of exhaustion and pain lift from my dad's face. That night was the saddest I've ever been or ever want to be, and the same was true for my dad. Yet even in the midst of that sorrow, Chef Boulard and his staff were able 
to give the two of us what still feels like four of the best hours of my life. It's astonishing to me that as one of the most famous chefs in the world stayed until the wee hours to give us a tour, but the meal was so beautiful and so long that by the time Daniel was embracing us goodbye, my dad and I were the last people in the restaurant. Not the last guests, but the last people, period. And there was no check. I had already happily chosen a life in restaurants, but that night I learned how important, how noble working in service can be. During a terrible dark time, Daniel and his staff offered my dad and me a ray of light in the form of a meal neither of us will ever forget. Our suffering didn't disappear by any means, but for a few hours we were afforded real respite from it. That dinner provided an oasis of comfort and restoration, an island of delight and care in the sea of our grief. When you work in hospitality, and I believe that whatever you do for a living, you can choose to be in the hospitality business. You have the privilege of joining people as they celebrate the most joyful moments of their lives and chance to offer them a brief moment of consolation and real relief in the midst of their most difficult ones. Most importantly, we have an opportunity, a responsibility to make magic in a world that desperately needs more of it. Time to thank our friends at RepairPal for making this episode possible. Don't get left behind. Today's tech-savvy consumers value instant gratification, so they start their searches for a repair shop on their computers and smartphones. These power users research auto repair and service options and decide which shops to engage with in an instant. Gain these customers by being RepairPal certified. They provide proof that your prices are fair with their best-in-class estimator. They're the largest site for auto repair, and they will introduce your shop to new customers through RepairPal.com and through the recommendation of partners like USAA, CarMax, and Consumer Reports. As shop owners, we were in the RepairPal certified network, and it helped grow our business. You have to be in it to win it, so head on over to RepairPal.com forward slash shops and set up a call to learn more. When you sign up, you'll get one month of service free and save $150 off certification. That's RepairPal.com forward slash shops. That story, I was on the airplane when I was reading that, really impacted me and enough so that I made a note to reread those pages and to share those pages because I think it really paints a picture. Even for an automotive repair shop, you build relationships with people. You are helping people. You have opportunities to do some things that allow people to really, really feel that you care. You can be unreasonable in how you care, how you communicate, how you give. Far too many companies, as Will says in this book, leave the human behind. We get super intense about the busyness, about the next customer coming in, about I've got to order parts or I've got to take care of this or I've got to take care of that, that we forget about the person right in front of us and just taking time to care for them. I would encourage you to also be unreasonable with your own team. He says in the book, to obsess about how your customers feel, you must obsess about how your employees feel. Take care of your team. Create, build, nurture, and sustain a culture of belonging. You will attract the best and they will stay with you. I would encourage you, you know, one thing that we do that really sets us off for just a wonderful day and builds our company culture is starting the day together. So y'all are together in the shop. We're fully remote, but we start every single morning at 8.15 on a Zoom. We call it our stand-up meeting because we used to be in person. 
and we were standing up, but you know, you can do the same thing and just everybody just go around. We share one quick thing that we're each grateful for and what our top priority is for the day. So you can make that your own, but you're building some camaraderie there. You can also very often, I'm looking at their faces on Zoom and I can tell when somebody's off. I can tell when, you know, they're just not quite right. And I'll send them a message in our Slack channel, our communication tool, and I'll just say, hey, you don't seem yourself this morning. Is everything okay? And I'll find out that they're not feeling well or they didn't sleep good or something happened with their kid that morning. Very often that either ends up in us just having a conversation and I'm helping them get back on track or I'm just hearing them for a minute or maybe I'm surprised door dashing them a coffee or a cupcake or a cookie or something just to help them with their day. So start the day together, be together, celebrate together, encourage one another, have team outings. You know, I haven't done this in a little while and it's about time that I do it again, but there was a time there where I was writing notes to my team members, family members. We have a single mom and I wrote notes to her kids from me telling them how amazing their mom is, how hardworking she is, how wonderful she is, because they weren't getting that from anyone else. There was no one else talking to these kids about how incredible their mom is. I remember her telling me about the day that those postcards came in the mail. One, the kids were super excited to get their own mail, but she was in tears about what I had written about her to her kids. I've written to spouses. You know, we have people here, they're married, and I wrote a note to their spouse to say, thanks for sharing him or her with us. We love having him or her with us during the day and they make a big impact on our business and just a nice note. We have young people that work here. I've written notes to their parents. They've graduated from college already. They're living on their own, but I've thanked parents for the way that they've raised their young people to be hard workers and driven and determined to do a good job. And I tell them about the impact that their young person is having on our business and our team members. So I've also talked about surprise DoorDash and deliveries. Not only do we do that for our team members, but we do it for our clients. So, you know, just really paying attention to when you can do something special. Mentoring is a big part of what we do here at Shop Marketing Pros. So really investing in our team members and spending time with them to help them grow and and become better at things that matter to them. Another thing that Will talks about in here in their restaurants, and when I was reading about it, it was funny to me. I laughed because there are some things that we do here in our business that is a good example of this. So he says that language creates culture. So when you create a common language, like your own shop language, an established shorthand. So in some of their restaurants, during the peak busy time, it was a known thing that if they were super busy and someone said constant gentle pressure, they all knew what that meant. And so no one else around may know what that means, but it just sent a calming aspect to a very busy time. He also talked about a story about Be the Swan, where, you know, when it's really super busy and you look at the swan and the swan is just gliding along gracefully on the water. So that's something that they say as well. Make the charitable assumption. So shared language, when that is said in their business, what that meant was 
And this could be in the shop world, just like it is in the restaurants, but the servers may encounter someone who's had a really terrible day. Maybe their spouse just told them that they want a divorce. Maybe someone is very ill and they're in the hospital. Maybe they lost their job, whatever it might be, like they're having a really hard time. They were taught to always make the charitable assumption, always assume the best of someone, always lead with something positive and just assume that whatever is happening with that person, just assume that something has happened. I say a lot in our business, Look, let's look at the big picture, right? So that's to help get people out of the weeds, out of the trees in the forest. Let's look at, let's look at the whole forest. And so sometimes that is helpful on our team when we're just really focused at the fine details. I just say, hey, let's back up and look at the big picture. We love to say eat your own dog food. That has internal meaning here in our business. In our family, we even have shared language. So I don't know if any of you, of course you do, you know Jocko Willink, the Navy SEAL. He wrote Extreme Ownership. He's very famous. He's got a brilliant podcast on leadership. He owns Echelon with his partner, Leif Babin. But there is a video on YouTube, if you just go look up Jocko Willink, good. And my son sent this to Brian and I one day. It's basically Jocko in a very intense, like three minutes talking about how anytime something bad happens, you should say good because now it's setting you up to learn, to grow, to be better. And so... As recently as like yesterday or the day before, my son texted me something, you know, it was a rough day or I don't remember, it was had a hard time on a test or class or whatever. And I just responded good. And he knows what I mean by that. Not being an awful mom, an evil mom, but instead he knows where it's coming from. He knows what the video is about and it's just helping him to shift perspective. One thing about taking care of your team and really helping, I love Kevin Eckler posted this idea. Kevin Eckler owns foreign car specialists in Poughkeepsie, New York. I don't know that they've implemented this, but I know he's talking about it or he really wants to. But something called House to House, where one weekend a month, they want to go and help one of their team members knock out something on their honeydew list at home or their to-do list. So maybe it's that they've been meaning to put a fence up in the backyard, just have never gotten to it. So the team would go over to this person's house and take some time and, you know, many hands make light work. So all helping together to accomplish something. So I thought that was a really awesome idea. And I wanted to give Kevin a shout out for that. But you can see how these are just super meaningful things. Again, just building that camaraderie and that belongingness. One thing that they talked about in the book as well is corporate smart versus shop smart. And I loved this story And well, he didn't call it shop smart. He called it corporate smart versus I think restaurant smart. It was a story of he was actually doing the work of the people. At this point, he was in management. He had come over to take over this restaurant. I think the service side of the restaurant, he joined one of the restaurants that had like a restaurant group. And so there was this corporate side to it. And there was uh, the bar. They had a flower vase on the end of the bar. Well, it just so happened to be in an area where customers were placing their order with the bartender. He was like, this flower vase is like in the way. Why don't we move it to the other end of the bar? So he moved it to the other end of the bar, which actually kind of hid the entrance, I think, to the kitchen or or like the cash register area. 
So it was in a good place to kind of shield some stuff, but it opened up the opportunity for the customers to really engage with the bartender and have a conversation. And it was just a nice change. The next day, bartender loved it. And the next day, it was moved back. So he asked the bartender what happened. And he said, well, corporate came in and said that we didn't have the right to change what the design team had done and that it had to stay where it was. And it was an example of like corporate thinks they know everything. Leadership thinks they know how it needs to happen without talking to or experiencing what the ones doing the work are actually feeling and experiencing. So really, the book goes deep into really understanding how the team works and what's best for them. I love that intention where they were taught, They there was a quote or he said, the bigger we get, the smaller we have to act. And that part just really hit me because even as we're growing in our business, we are spending a great deal of time being super intentional about taking care of people. We don't want to lose our company culture. We don't want to lose the camaraderie on our team. We don't want to start making mistakes because we've gotten bigger and we start losing that touch. So it's very important to separate the smart, right? And not allow corporate or leadership to make decisions without understanding what's really happening on the other side. So the bigger we get, the smaller we have to act. And I've only got a couple of other little things that I want to share with you from this book. One of them is I actually created a Facebook post on my own personal profile about this like a week or two ago, but it's this section where it says raindrops make oceans. And so I want to share that with you because it's also very relevant to shops. We hear shops who are like struggling, 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 but then at the same time, we know a lot of shops who are just absolutely killing it right now. And I'm always wondering how can so many people be struggling and so many people be doing so well. And I think it has a lot to do with how they're intentional, how they're organized, how they're taking care of things, how they're paying attention, understanding what's going on in the economy, in the world, in their community. But it really comes down to raindrops make oceans. So let me share this part with you. So he said, at every P&L meeting in these days, it was a hard time. Danny's partner, Paul, liked to remind us raindrops make oceans. With that in mind, I chased every penny. We were in the habit of using two linen cloths to cover the pass, the countertop where the cooks put plates of food that were ready to be picked up by the food runners. We always used two so we could strip off the top one, top one midway through the evening and finish out the night with a clean cloth. This was a luxury that was easy to cut. We saved thousands on cleaning chemicals by checking the dishwasher settings and making sure they weren't sucking one more soap out more soap than necessary. And the paper towels that dipped in vinegar and water to clean any drips of fingerprints off the edge of the plate before it went out to the dining room were cut in half. Our cooks wore tall paper toques because, I don't know if I'm saying that right, the chef's hat, because they were beautiful and classic and a link to Daniel's European heritage. They were also disposable. The cooks could discard them when they got sweaty or stained. One night, I did the math. If a cook went through two or three of those over the course of a hard shift, and there were 30 cooks in the kitchen working two shifts a day, we were spending thousands of dollars a year on those 
toques or those chef's hats. Whereas a box of the thick washable cotton skull caps most restaurants gave their cooks cost a few hundred and we'd get at least a year out of those. That cut was hard. We chose those caps because we wanted the cooks to feel a sense of pride and connection to their culinary history every time they put them on. But leadership during a crisis means recognizing it's more than the hats that give the cooks a sense of pride. It was harder to make cuts in the dining room without adversely affecting the guests. Running a fine dining restaurant is expensive. Labor costs are high. Even gleaming knife and immaculate glass has to be polished by hand. It's never more expensive than when you're trying to get to the next level because you basically need to overspend an undercharge in order to get there. Still, we were finding as many cunning ways to cut costs as we could. We'd been proud to showcase 20 unique cheeses on our cheese cart, but we could make a beautiful cheese plate with only 10 and fewer options resulted in less waste. I watched the cart like a hawk, cutting the cheese myself some nights to make sure we used every presentable piece. More than anything, this is what changed. We became hyper-attentive to every cost, closely monitoring every penny we spent and becoming more disciplined than we'd ever been before. Paul was right. All those cuts, all those raindrops did start to add up. And the savings we saw from making them allowed us to fight another day. As I was coming up in my career, my dad encouraged me to keep a journal. The goal had been to maintain perspective. When you're working as a server, that's the only view of the world you have. And while you may think you'll hang on to that point of view forever, the truth is that once you've been promoted to manager, you'll eventually find your priorities replaced by a new set. As my dad would say, perspective has an expiration date, no matter how hard you try to hold on to it. So I want to leave you with just a reminder of perspective and that raindrops make oceans. He was talking about budgeting and cutting costs. But I would also say that raindrops make oceans in the words that you say, in how well you're listening to people, how well you're taking care of people, how well you're responding to people. And the last thing here is I really just loved the word delight that he used multiple times throughout this book. And he said that the surprise that comes from being truly seen and heard is delight. So delight your customers. It isn't the lavishness of the gift that counts, but it's the pricelessness. So I hope that you will take this and think about just paying attention to people. What's important to them? What would really leave them with a story to tell? Unlike any other story that they might have to tell, but something that you've done at your shop that really just touches someone builds that loyalty, creates a relationship that's not a transaction. So this book is, these are only my top takeaways. There was so, so, so much to it, so much to it. So I really do want to give this book to some people. So if you email podcast at shopmarketingpros.com, say, hey, Kim, I want that unreasonable hospitality book. For those that are watching on YouTube, here it is again. It's a bright yellow book truly, truly incredible. It's probably one that I will read a couple more times. It's like watching a movie, how you watch it the second time and you pick up on something. You're like, I don't remember the first time I watched it. I think that will happen with this book. So definitely grab a copy for yourself. Email me. I would love to send it to you. 
So with that being said, there are unreasonable hospitality things being posted regularly in our Auto Repair Marketing Mastermind Facebook group. I'd love for you to join us over there. It's very active, super engaged shop owners in there talking all about marketing. So I hope that you'll go there and find us. You can also find us on our website, shopmarketingpros.com. Thanks again for listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast on the Aftermarket Radio Network. There are some really great shows on the network and you can find them all at the aftermarketradionetwork.com. There's a good handful of them, four or five of us. So we hope that you will go there and listen on your favorite podcast listening apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many others. Tune in for another episode next week. And until then, go fill those bays. You've been listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast with Kim and Brian Walker. Follow the podcast on your favorite listening app. Find their emails in the show notes and visit them at shopmarketingpros.com. Let Kim and Brian know what you want discussed because they're all about advancing the aftermarket.